Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, how important is a region's population? Southwestern Pennsylvania, for example, is pretty big and it's been getting bigger. But Pittsburgh as a city, well, we've been shrinking for decades. Today, we're bringing back a conversation with a regional economist to figure out why or if it even matters. It's Tuesday, February 20th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with Christopher Bream, a regional economist at the University of Pittsburgh's University Center for Social and Urban Research. You're sort of the go-to for population data around these parts. Well, hello. It's good to see you. I, I guess I am. I guess it might be worth talking about the fact that, uh, so I really focus on growth and change in Pittsburgh, really the economic competitiveness of the region, the regional economy. But I learned long ago that if you don't um, understand sort of the, the unique nature, the changing dynamics of the local population, you're really going to come to the wrong conclusions about sort of what's going on in Pittsburgh. So I, I take these calls and do my best. <laughs> it's a mantle I think you wear pretty well. Um I want to start with that metro number, the big one. It's huge, 2.434 million people. What's the difference between that figure and the other one that we see quoted all the time, 300,000? Like, what are they each for? So, yeah, this is, we're Pittsburgh. What is Pittsburgh? This is a question of geography. You know, and, uh, you know, whenever anyone starts talking about Pittsburgh, you know, I really, if they're they're not clear, which is most of the time, you know, are they talking about the city of Pittsburgh, this municipality with a mayor that many people can identify, 300,000 people? That's very different from the metropolitan area, which, uh, again, this one definition is eight counties, about 2.3, 2.4 million people. Uh, You know, and then there are other definitions, right? There's a 10 county definition of the south of southwestern Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh writ large. Uh, and there are many others. Yeah. Um, I know at our peak, we were roughly double this size, like 600,000 people just in the city. What happened? What went wrong? Well, so I, mean, I know some of it's steel. Like, I know that that's part of it. But right. But so you've already sort of jumped into the city geography. The city of Pittsburgh has shrunk uh, by a lot. Now, I, I would argue, you know, if you ever look at history, you know, the city of Pittsburgh with twice same geography, the same 55 square miles at the city of Pittsburgh with twice as many people, it may not be a place you might want to live. The, the density of that is, is, is not quite there. It's there. The city of Pittsburgh has suffered both from regional scale decline, the steel story, which is really a not just a metropolitan, but that 10 county in southwestern Pennsylvania and even further have all suffered from steel. The city of Pittsburgh has also suffered from suburbanization as people everywhere have moved, you know, reside in the suburbs more than they did in the past. I I point out, this is the number one thing, a lot of people quote what you just threw at me, which is the city of Pittsburgh's residential population has declined by, you know, maybe about half uh, over these last 50 years, the number of people working in the city of Pittsburgh with job locations in the city of Pittsburgh is the same as it was 50 or 60 years ago, about 300,000. Really? Absolutely. I mean, so the city of Pittsburgh has not only retained itself as a job center, about 300,000 people work here. I have some documents, you know, 1959, about 300,000 people work in the city of Pittsburgh. It is about 300,000 people working in the city of Pittsburgh today. Yeah. Well, I know there's been a lot of hand-wringing about Pittsburgh losing people or at least not gaining them for a very long time. Um, I know that you like to bring up the infamous border guard, Bob. That was before my time in Pittsburgh. Can you explain a little bit more about him? 
I think there's been, uh, we are a place that lost a lot of people in the 1980s. I mean, the steel jobs went away. A lot of people left. Uh, that type of economic migration is what we call very age selective. It was very much people in their 20s who fled here uh, in the 1980s. I think most people who've been around have this memory of younger working age folks literally fleeing. That, that word comes up with and the truth of the matter is we have not had a problem with people leaving Pittsburgh for a long time. People see a lot of college graduates. Uh, Pennsylvania writ large is the largest net attractor of college matriculants in the country. Oh. We bring in a lot of students here. They get educated. It's normal for them to leave. We do retain a lot of them. People think we don't. Uh, if Penn State retained all of its graduates, State College would be bigger than Manhattan. We are a big college <laughs> town. It is normal for uh, we, we kind of export uh, this great education and people come here for it. We have not had a problem with people f leaving the region. We, we do have an issue with, you know, job and population growth means there haven't been a lot of people coming here. And just to go back to your question, yeah, and, and people have tried to address this problem that doesn't exist uh, for many decades. And one of, one of which was uh, going to be a big regional advertising campaign now, uh, you know, old 20... Four, 25 years ago called Border Guard Bob. We were going to spend a lot of money on a national advertising campaign. Really, no, it was, this was a locally focused advertising campaign and big smoky bear hat guy was going to stand up there and uh, hold up his hand and say, you young person, you don't want to leave Pittsburgh and hear all these great, we're going to explain to you why you're going to stick around and stay in the region. And I, I found it, um, it doesn't solve the wrong problem. It didn't bring people into the region. Uh, arguably, I think it's a bit counterproductive. Um, and it almost <laughs> it almost happened. It was going to be a couple million dollars of this advertising campaign. I, only at the last minute really did that get turned off. But that type of thinking uh, persists uh, to this day, I think. What a wildly unhelpful way to spend money. The city has a glorious history in that. Um, why do you think that growth or conversations about it are so important? Like, are there inherent benefits to getting bigger so now we're deep into sort of either philosophy or metaphysics, uh, but uh, your favorite. So, indeed, um, look, it is a very common thing to equate growth, either population growth or employment growth or, or other forms of growth income, as sort of the measure of success for this mythical region. There are two economies really in all regions. There's a part that is providing goods and services to the local population. And then there's a part that is sort of goods and services that we're exporting to the world, not to internationally, just outside the region. And these two very different economies come together. The, the vast bulk of jobs are that locally serving economy. And so if you're in the business, and this includes a lot of small businesses, which is why I think this resonates so much, you know, your growth comes from providing goods and services to the local population. If it's growing, you have a growing market base. And if it's not growing and, and that's all you do, you're you're stuck. You're not really growing. So there are a lot of folks who have a vested interest in growth as a region. Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theater have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy, whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. 
Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org. Use code CITYCAST, all one word, for $5 off. You know, years ago, someone told me this old adage that if you're traveling or considering a new spot to visit or live, to look for cranes um, that, you know, they suck (laughs) for a city skyline, but they tend to indicate that new stuff is literally on the rise. Um, It feels like Pittsburgh is, to be fair, always under construction, but with our population being what it is, I don't know. Are there upsides to staying small? So th- this is a, a, a debate. I, I joke, but there is a value judgment here and there, uh, to a certain degree. And this has popped up here as a debate in the past because uh, we are a place that has not seen a lot of growth, yet one could argue quality of life can be maintained. We were in the midst of steel decline, you know, ranked number one for quality of life, a great story from right. like the early 1980s, you know. So what is quality of life? And I think there's and a strong argument. Well, and this is something of a debatable proposition. I've been telling people to read a great book by a fellow named Alan Malik uh, about this, you know, growth not being uh, a necessarily sufficient factor in promoting quality of life. You can have a high quality of life as a nation, as a state, as a region without a lot of population growth. It's kind of a heretical thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just imagining if like a ton of people start moving to Pittsburgh, our traffic will get worse. There will be even fewer homes for folks to live in. Um, like in Austin, people are just stuck on the freeway all day and the houses cost a bajillion dollars. Sometimes it feels nice that we are not a super crowded city. I mean, the problem is our, our problem with housing and a problem with transportation is that we haven't grown for so long. So in a sense, you know, a lot of our infrastructure doesn't match it. So it is true. What you said is very true. I think places that uh, are expecting growth can plan for growth. You can deal with a lot of that if you plan for where you're going to be uh, realistically. I think our challenge is a lot of uh, the region at large, this mythical region, the counties which have some planning capability, but really a lot of our municipalities look to a past where they much were mu- once much bigger and kind of want to get back to it, even though there's absolutely no reality that that's going to happen. And so, you know, if you're planning for a, a future growth that isn't going to happen, you're probably spending the wrong money, you're making the wrong plans. You want to plan for the future that really is most realistic. And I think that is the best path to having a good quality life for the folks who, who live, your residents, your constituents. I mean, there are organizations that do that. I feel like, I mean, look at the airport. They're spending 25 more billion dollars to renovate to right size the airport because we're not a hub anymore. I mean, we're kind of doing it. We're just not consistently doing it. It's a good example. Yeah, obviously, again, another whole topic, the history of US Air (laughs) and how many jobs we once lost uh, is is right there. But that that actually, you know, I didn't quite think of it that way. It is a right-sizing to where they need to be and they kind of had to do it. They've lost so many flights. So we we do need to do similar logic in the way we think about our local communities. It's, It's a... It's a heretical concept in our world. Some decline, certainly some. Re- certainly, these steel communities that suffered through decline. Uh, the concept's called managed decline. Which, you know, if I were a politician and I say I want to promote moderate or low growth, right, my, I would be unelected very quickly. So I feel for politicians <laughs> who might even agree with me, they'll they can never say that publicly. Well, and there's managed decline, but there's also something called natural population decline. Um, is I think I understand that. Is that where more people are dying here than people who are born here? Is that the natural portion? 
Yeah, I struggle to say dying, right? Mortality exceeds, you know, <laughs> fertility, right? You know, however you want to say. You are I mean, an academic. <laughs> look, one of the reasons why people who are expecting a lot of growth uh, locally really need to to factor in. You can't change this. It's kind of baked into where we're at. There's we are an older region. Um, and by that I mean there are, we have a disproportionately more folks who are senior citizens than there are folks of childbearing ages. And that means, you know, for the size of our population, we are going to have more deaths each year than births. We were actually one of the first large metropolitan areas to begin to experience this about 20 years ago. Uh, it is the wave of the future for many more regions. More regions now suffer natural population decline. If you follow international news, whole countries now are dealing with this. This is a history-shifting moment in uh, many countries of the world where this is becoming the norm. So it's not strange anymore. Uh, but in reality, we that's where we're starting at. Our baseline growth, if no one moved, the same number of people moved in and moved out of the region every year, our natural population change is negative, which means we would be declining. Yeah. And people sort of say, how can you change that? And is it all related to this question of economic growth and bringing folks here? Absolutely. But that's very much a longer term construct. Where we're at right now is baked in and it's still, you know, we're we're sort of past the decline of the steel industry, right? There are very few steel jobs left in the region, but we are not past the demographic impact of so many people who left here in the early 80s because it was very concentrated. It was very much folks who were in their um, early 20s, they took with them their families and they took with them their future families. And so really the region right now is suffering from really, you can almost think a, a second generation impact of the grandchildren of folks who might be here having kids, having families are really living elsewhere. And so in the near term, it's just not going to be a lot of growth. Yeah. I mean, it seems really interesting to me that we're still feeling the effects of that. Like so many people that I mean, I moved here 10 years ago, um, but so many people I met were boomerangers. You know, they'd left in their teens and 20s or they were the children of folks who had, but they had returned. Um, At the time, the shale industry had brought a lot of people in. Now it's mostly tech and eds and meds, but it's just it's not enough to fill in the gap of what was lost yet or ever. Well, look, I. Most regions and, and most, you know, success, I mean, places that are growing, you know, have this normal churn. They're, I mean, when we talk about population growth, we're talking about the margin between the number of people moving in and moving out. Yeah, which I guess has been pretty tight because we've just been inching down closer to that 300 mark for years. Right. But the flows are much bigger than that. I mean, every year, just to put some round numbers on it, you know, 40 or 50,000 people move into the Pittsburgh region every year. 40 or 50,000 move out every year normally. What, you know, we're obsessing on is sort of whether or not one side of that equation is a little bigger than the other, which is going to, at the end of the day, be a much smaller uh, fraction of that. So all regions have these this flow. What I think you've alluded to is this question of, you know, boomerangs. The academic term might be, you know, this return migrant, you know, return migration. People tend to moving back to where they used to live. Yeah. I, I tell you, you know, I don't want to uh, poo-poo it. That is a normal part of uh, migra- the migration flow for most regions. We, we know we have in- networks, we have family networks, we have information networks, we have work networks in these places that we came from. So most places see a disproportionate flow of folks coming back. To where they did. I'm not sh- quite sure. I don't want to say it isn't is or isn't true because I haven't looked at it in a while. That we have more or even less boomerang migration than elsewhere. I do suspect a, a, a true Pittsburgh thing because 
we're so obsessed with people leaving. When we notice this, <laughs> it, it, it sticks out in our head more. I said, oh my God, you've moved back to Pittsburgh. Well, uh, maybe, I think we've moved past this, but if you if you talk to anyone who moved back to Pittsburgh in like the 90s or the decade afterwards, and they moved to Pittsburgh and they talk to someone who's been here for a while, what's the first question they get asked? Like, why would you do that? Why you know? Why are you here? Yeah, why did you come yeah, back? Why would you come here? It, it, it's like, uh, you know, people would, like, I, I, many people have told me, like, native Pittsburghers would sort of ask them incredulously, why would you come here? Uh, even though, again, most regions have, and we, and we do have a lot of folks moving in every year and moving out. Where are the folks who are leaving moving to? It's a pretty simple thing. We can show you maps, but large metro areas near us is really where people go to the places that top the list of the flows in and out of Pittsburgh are, are almost always, uh, you know, Washington, D.C., New York City, Cleveland, Philadelphia. These are large metro areas near us. And that's been sort of that's not to say people aren't moving to, to California and, and, and Texas, but the big flows are there other than retiree migration. Does anything actually bad happen if we drop below that 300,000 line or does it just feel symbolically meaningful? So, yeah, it all comes out into geography. So, again, you're talking about the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah. If the city drops below. Uh, so here's the sh- my answer. Uh, look, there was actually it pops up in political seasons. There was some, something of a rumor going around that if we drop below 300,000 people, we would no longer be considered by the Boffins and Harrisburg as a second class city, which is a strange construct of Pennsylvania's highly fragmented local government. That's already insulting. That's a separate issue. <laughs> and people thought that would mean something. Well, A, it's not true. We, we can drop below 300,000. We will still be considered a second-class city uh, by folks in Harrisburg, for whatever that's worth, uh, for a long time. So it doesn't really matter. It's a whole number. We obsess on whole numbers. Uh, uh, nothing uh, in legal or economic terms will change. That doesn't mean there won't be a lot of angst and biting of teeth, and um, I'm sure it will be a matter debated in whatever the next political cycle is. Do you have any big plans for the day that it's, you know, official, official? I don't know if regional economists mark milestones (laughs) and municipal shrinkage. I'll block off a lot of time for the calls I'll get from people asking about whether it matters. People like me. (laughs) Come up with a pithy answer to say, no, I don't care, but, you know. You're always a ray of sunshine. Uh, Christopher Bream is a mastermind at Pitt's University Center for Social and Urban Research. Thank you. Great to be here. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell a friend, rate us, leave us a nice review, and you can always get in touch via email. We're pittsburgh at citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. I can't believe we're losing people to Cleveland. Well, we're probably gaining people from Cleveland, too. So, you know, I mean, uh, (laughs) we want to discuss Cleveland. I think of it all as the same thing, right? Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, uh, two hours up the turnpike. Is it really a different place? I'd say no.